Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. morning on this 25th day of May 2021. So it was a year ago on this date um, that George Floyd died. And so today, um, that is going to be the focus of a lot of conversation, energy, attention. Um, a lot's going to get a lot of ink. It's going to get a lot of coverage. It's going to be a certainly a point of conversation. And so I want to maybe equip us for that conversation today. The headline in the Associated Press reads, Turning Mourning into Dancing, Festival to Remember George Floyd. I wonder how many people in the culture who hear or read that headline, Turning Mourning into Dancing, will recognize that it comes directly from the Bible directly from the Bible. It is verse 11 of Psalm 30. The cultural recognition of of the biblical origins of how mourning is turned into dancing um, is certainly a conversation that Christians can have today in the culture writ large. And so the other thing that I would um, encourage us to consider is what it means in Psalm 30, verse 11, for mourning to be turned into dancing, and who is remembered in that psalm, because it's not actually individual people, and it's not actually the suffering of individual people. It's not even the corruption of culture itself. It's not all of the causes um, for lament in this life. What turns mourning into dancing and the cause for the psalmist to uh, consider that mourning is turned into dancing is not the remembrance of an individual. It's not a festival uh, toward the remembrance of an individual. It's all about God. It's all about God. The underlying issues, the underlying conversation, the discourse about race, the need for law enforcement, the need for law itself, the very idea of law. Because of the idea of sin and brokenness, all of it, the underlying issue, God. The governor of the state of Minnesota has called for nine minutes and 29 seconds of silence at 1 p.m. today, central time. Nine and a half minutes of silence. Now, let me just tell you that on the radio, something like 10 or 11 seconds of silence uh, gets you guys um, texting in, the radio is broken, you're off the air, something's wrong. Our, um, a- our, our attitude toward and our appetite for silence is really short. That was a five-second test of your attitude toward and your appetite for 
silence. My guess is Paul got nervous during those five seconds. Yes, I did. Maybe, yeah, I know. See, I maybe you did too. So what will people do during nine minutes and 29 seconds of silence? What will people do? See, we're going to, we're doers. We're, we're, we're already thinking about what we're going to do during our nine and a half minutes of silence. What could I get accomplished if the whole world went silent for nine and a half minutes? And, and how am I going to sit in silence for that long? Okay, it's not about what are all the other things you could accomplish during the nine and a half minutes of silence. It's about how can you sit in silence for nine and a half minutes and consider, consider just how long nine and a half minutes is. So <clears throat> let me uh, encourage you to equip yourself in advance. Have the Bible open before you. Psalm 30 might be a good, uh, a good resource to have in front of you. Here it is. I will extol and praise you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. You have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O my Lord, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought my life up from Sheol, the pit, the place of the dead. You have kept me alive so that I would not go down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, O you, his godly ones, give thanks at the mention of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night, but shouts of joy come in the morning. As for me, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. By your favor and your grace, O Lord, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was horrified. I called to you, O Lord. To the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood or my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be gracious. Show favor to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Let my soul sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Nick Pitts joins me next. We are going to talk about faith and faith leadership and what that looks like and means in the culture today. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Nick Pitts. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. You can also find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. Nick, welcome back. Hello, Carmen. So great to be with you today. Hello, my friend. Um, okay, I read this article and I thought to myself, hmm, who, um, who would be a good conversation partner to talk with about uh, 21 faith leaders to watch in 2021? And I thought, hmm, Nick Pitts. Because he watches not just faith leaders, but he watches sort of what's happening in the culture. And I thought it would be fun to talk with you about this. So we are um, talking about 
21 faith leaders to watch in 2021. And what these people have in common is that they are politically progressive. I thought that was an interesting, mm-hmm. um, interesting way to draw up a list. So what's st- what stood out to you um, in terms of this conversation? Yeah, so uh, uh, this this list comes out from the Center for American Progress, and so that is very much a right of uh, left of center uh, think tank organization um, uh, by Nira Tandon. That name will probably sound familiar to some of your listeners. She was the individual that was put up for the Office of Management, but Budget Management, uh, OMB rather, and her kind of harsh tweets kept her from being able to be confirmed by the Senate, but then she's been put back into the Biden administration as a senior advisor. But they put out this list of 21 faith leaders. And if you're looking at this, um, one of the things I will say is it it really does reflect the diversity of America. Um, You've got individuals that are coming from all different uh, areas and different faith traditions. And then, um, Interestingly enough, individuals that you're wondering, why are they on a faith list? Because it doesn't appear as though they're faith leaders. They're just leaders or they're individuals that are activists, like individuals like Rob Tabor, who they who he himself doesn't even consider himself a faith leader. Um, but he's an uh, influential voice among the LDS community and individuals like Miss An- Angela Farrell Zabala. Uh, she works with Every Town for Gun Safety. And really, it doesn't appear as though she might personally have some type of faith or religious commitment. But from a professional standpoint, it doesn't appear as though there's any um, uh, religious uh, background to say. And when and when we do talk about um, religion or we talk about faith and we talk about faith leadership, I think that when the average person reads or hears that kind of headline, they make the assumption that the faith is identifiable, and that the leadership among a faith community is identifiable. And that is, that is not true in, in almost any of, uh, of the people on this list. And again, um, Nick and I are talking about a list that was, you know, was gathered together by the Center for American Progress. So we are talking about genuine progressives in the culture and who they think um, people of faith should be looking to for faith leadership in 2021. Um, and notably, there are very few people on the list who would have sort of recognizable credentials in any sort of recognizable faith community, i.e. a church or um, or some other recognizable faith. Now, the ones who are recognizable for that um, are almost all female. Um, and mm-hmm. so we're talking here, obviously, about a very progressive expression of Judaism. If we're talking about a female rabbi, or we're talking about mm-hmm. a very, uh, or we're talking about one of the more progressive versions of Christianity, if we're talking about an ordained um, female pastor. Yeah, you know, Carmen, it's just it's it's really interesting because uh, I've had to think. I thought more and more about this since we we mentioned that we'd be talking about this this morning. And it it really does strike me just how far away we've gone in 60 plus years from the vision that Martin Luther King had for the idea of the church interacting with the state. So King has this famous speech where he says that the that the church shouldn't be a slave to the state, but it should be a conscience for the state. And so understanding its role to be able to delineate between what is wrong and what is right. But then how King talked about how there's like three dimensions in life. He says that there are, there's length, 
there's breadth, and there's height. Um, the length is about the connection to ourselves, like understanding what our purpose is. Breadth is about the connection to our community, understanding that we're not in this pro human project called humanity alone. And height is about our connection to the transcendent. And for King, he understood that all three were necessary. You had to know your purpose, you had to have a community, and you had to have a connection to the transcendent. And that's what made this one of the reasons that made the civil rights movement so popular is that there was that connection to the transcendent uh, and why faith language was infused in so much of what King did. And the church was such a powerful tool for the civil rights movement. And then when I look at this list and I look, I, I just think, where is the... There's some individuals I just I, I don't even recognize the communities that they're a part of. And then there are other individuals like I listed, the transcendent it is just not even apparent in some of these individuals. This mm -hmm. and it's just really, uh, what seems good and what seems right. But there's no transcendent about this is what's going to that transcends this present moment that we're in. And so it just it's just very it struck me such a far departure over the past 60 years that we're missing these key ingredients that King would be championing, I would imagine. Yeah, as I read this piece, um, I, I can I just continually returned to, you know, sort of the question in my own mind. Um, uh, you know, these these people really uh, are. I think that what is being aggregated here is who is the Center for American Progress looking to for moral grounding for their mm -hmm. positions. And you can't, there's no moral ground to stand on if the ground is always shifting. And mm -hmm. so I think that that's part of what I want people to be able to discern today is if you're going to, you know, if you're going to follow a faith leader, you better know what they're standing on, what, what they, upon what they take their stand. And if that is anything other than the firm foundation, um, then it is literally shifting sand. And yeah. people need, you know, I, so there you go. All right. Hey, you and I got to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, uh, well, I teed up so many things for Nick and I to talk about. So I can't actually tell you what we're talking about when we come back. But when we come back, we're talking about something important, a headline of the day. We'll be right back. my conversation with Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. And we are going to talk about why President Biden is not attending Notre Dame's graduation. Um, you know, it's a Catholic university, maybe the most, well, one of certainly one of the most well-known Catholic universities in the country. And Joe Biden is the, you know, second of all time Catholic U.S. president. So what's going on here, Nick? Yeah, so apparently it comes down to um, what has been brewing in the uh, and been in the works for a few years now uh, is this idea of his abortion policies, and so they've decided uh, he uh, President Biden will not attend the 2021 commencement for Notre Dame. Students and alumni uh, petitioned uh, the Notre Dame president, John Jenkins, not to invite Biden due to his pro-abortion policies. And and uh, as you might expect, uh, it's causing some consternation among some that would uh, offer one to say on one side they're arguing for a bigger tent uh, to understand that uh, Catholics can disagree on particular issues and still be in fellowship one with another. And the other side would say that 
this is just a this is a blatant disregard for the teachings of the church, and as such, should not be uh, included in order to exercise discipline that would hopefully bring a corrective remedy and bring that person in line with the church. Yeah, I feel like it gets us into a really robust conversation um, as Christians in the culture today. Uh, you know, if if I affiliate with a a certain expression of the Christian faith, in this case, Catholicism. Um, what is the range of my freedom uh, or the liberty that I have to disagree uh, privately and or publicly uh, with the with the standards um, or positions of that expression of the church? And I and I feel like for Catholics, this is even a more robust conversation than it is for those of us who are Protestants and don't view, uh, you know, don't view the church hierarchy as having the kind of authority that Catholics endow uh, or or give to or acknowledge in the Pope. Yeah, yeah. So um, actually, the Vatican has issued uh, a warning uh, to U.S. bishops about denying communion to supporters of abortion rights. And there was a uh, there was a bishop out of San Diego, uh, Mr. Robert McElroy, who's warned that, quote, the Eucharist is being weaponized and deployed as a tool in political warfare. Um, and I guess uh, just to lay my cards out on the table, I'm an, I'm a, a pretty stridently pro-life. I'm an individual that wants to do everything I can within my personal position, as well as just in writings, et cetera, to really advocate for a pro-life position. I just think of, we're, at a, we're at a place where we're the, our abortion stances here in the U.S. are very similar to, I believe, Sudan and North Korea and the fact that we allow abortions to happen at such a late uh, period of time uh, during during pregnancy. And so I'm pretty pro-life in, in that regard. But I, it does raise a, a, a principled question of if this is it, one, one, what is the what, what are the what are the items by which we can disagree on and still remain in fellowship? And if abortion is an issue that we can't be in agreement on, if we can't be in agreement on, but and then in turn, you can't be uh, received communion. Are there other well, I would consider are there other issues that you cannot be in agreement on and not receive uh, uh, the Eucharist as well? Yeah, I think it's called you know fencing the table. How is it that yeah. the uh, that shepherds are uh, responsible for guarding the table? Um, and and I think that extends. You know, how responsible are shepherds of the flock for guarding the sheep and warning them mm-hmm. about false teaching in the culture and. Um, and holding them accountable to the teachings of Scripture. I think all of those things are uh, are the responsibility of pastors. And yet, Nick, I think it's probably really hard for pastors to hold some individuals accountable because of their stature in the culture or in the community. I also think that pastors are afraid of losing church members um, because of the literal bottom line of— yeah. You know, of church budgets. So it's a hard job. And it's, it's, and it's, and the, and the reality of the matter is we want to make abortion one of these other issues when the research is pretty clear. Anywhere from 40 to 50 percent of abortions that are committed in the U.S. are done so by self professing Christians. Uh, and so th- this is not only just an issue that's outside, this is an issue 
that's surrounding you when you walk into your church sanctuary on Sunday morning. It's affecting a lot of individuals, and and, and so that the pastor to go before them, and I, from a male perspective, it's really hard. It's not hard for me to speak on this issue, but I understand that I'm very limited when I speak on this issue. But from a male perspective, much attention is given to the female's choice, but the male has a responsibility as well in this, and that. And they need to come up and, uh, and help support and provide for this potential child because one of the key reasons why we're seeing that women are committing abortion is because they just don't think they can support the child and raise the child, which in the reality of the matter is it's not just her that should be doing this. This isn't just a singular decision that she should be doing this because it wasn't a singular decision that brought her to this particular point. Right. There's a responsibility that is borne by two people. Um, mm-hmm. And and that responsibility, um, you know, is a God, that's a God created opportunity mm-hmm. and responsibility. And yeah, and that gets us into a conversation about marriage. And it also gets us into a conversation mm-hmm. about uh, the the only appropriate context for sexual intercourse. Like it, all of these conversations are in, literally intimately related one to yeah. the other. Mm-hmm. All right, Nick, we got to leave it right there today. As always, I love talking with you. Um, I hope that you enjoy the emergence of the cicadas. <clears throat> yeah, because be, between I'm now and the diet. next time, yeah, between now and the next time we talk, that is happening. <laughs> Deal. There's no question about it. All right, that's Nick Pitts. You can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can follow him on Twitter at j nick pitts. We'll be right back. Luke Moon from the Philos Project is going to join us next. We are going to uh, get an update on how where things stand uh, in Israel in relationship to the ongoing uh, threat from Hamas and yet the current ceasefire. We're also going to talk about anti-Semitic attacks here in the United States um, and what is going on in the EU, which has agreed to... Um, enter into sanctions against Belarus following the forced landing and extraction of an opposition journalist over the weekend from a commercial airliner. So more on all of that up next. Sometimes these two words are the hardest thing to say, but they also have the power to mend relationships like nothing else. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Two words, I'm sorry. They're two of the most difficult words to say, especially when it comes to fessing up to your teen. It's humbling and it makes us feel out of control. Some parents think that apologizing only lessens their credibility or undercuts their authority. But really, saying I'm sorry can still the ripples in your pond. Your mistake created turmoil in your teen. And since we all make mistakes, maybe it's time to rebuild the relationship and say those uncomfortable words, I'm sorry. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. The wise men will bow down before the throne, and at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns. All right, joining me now, Luke Moon. He works with the Philos Project. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Luke Moon One. I recommend you follow him there. Good, good spot to follow him. Hey, Luke, welcome back. 
Hey, good to see you or talk to you this morning. I actually talked about you yesterday because I had a guest on who made reference during our conversation to his background with YWAM. And I'm like, oh, I know okay. another YWAM guy. I know. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So Dave, uh, Dave Buring at Lion Share, the two of you should, um, you know, I don't know. You should talk about Kona, Hawaii and building <laughs> stuff, I think. Okay. So yeah. welcome back. Let's talk about Israel. Um, where where do things now stand? And, you know, is the ceasefire real peace? Well, I mean, the second answer to your question is easier. Uh, the ceasefire is is not real peace. Ceasefire is a ceasefire. I mean, basically, you know, Hamas launched over 4,000 rockets at Israel, uh, and Israel responded uh, with precision munitions and, and uh, took out, you know, probably so, somewhere around a couple hundred Hamas fighters. Uh, and yet, you know, from from the news on the Palestinian side, uh, Hamas came out of that conflict the winner. Uh, the, there was even the the Grand Mufti on who who kind of is over Al Aqsa Mosque, which is the, you know if you look at the picture of Jerusalem, that's you see the Dome of the Rock, which is actually a shrine, and next to it a little over is is the mosque al-aqsa mosque which is very uh, significant in in islam anyways the grand mufti of of that uh, has been a supporter of the current palestinian leader mahmoud abbas and uh the hamas supporters basically threw him out of al-aqsa over the weekend and say basically we support hamas we support hamas is what they chanted and then yesterday there were uh fights between uh, uh, supporters of Fatah, which is the Palestinian Authority's leadership, and Hamas followers as well. So certainly on the on the Palestinian side, there seems to be very much a uh, a, a real turmoil over who's in charge, uh, and and uh, Hamas really seemed to have uh, picked up the upper hand on that decision. And then on the Israeli side, uh, the you know, I would even add to that maybe the Jewish side. There's there was a real turmoil over uh, what happened this last week in places around the world, where it was, you know, it used to be that for a lot of Jews, uh, it was a safe place uh, to kind of be like uh, where where it wasn't anti-Zionism. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. They kind of held back and said, well, you know, you can be against Israel and not be against the Jewish people. And that kind of veil kind of slipped. Whereas, you know, in New York, there was there was uh, uh, Molotov cocktails thrown in the Diamond District. Uh, Jews attacked there. There was there was uh, uh, some Jews who were who were at a restaurant and, and a mob came by and started attacking them there. Uh, there was a, a restaurant in, in in California where where also a, a gang of Palestinians walked up and asked to identify the Jews and then started beating them up. Uh, and it was actually an an Armenian uh, who who uh, a person from Armenia who 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 basically got in the way and started fighting back at them. Uh, and so you had it, it became very apparent through. Uh, in, in a lot of circles that I'm kind of running around in that this is uh, that, you know, the, the Jews in the, in 
the diaspora, the Jews in America, the Jews in Europe, uh, really feel like they're they're now seen as being part of Israel, and that that was that's scary for a lot of them. Um, and so there's been a lot of kind of I think internal turmoil in, in both camps, and I think and and as a result that the whole uh, the ceasefire, yeah, the, the the fighting on the ground has stopped, but now the fighting in each camp has begun, and it's very interesting to watch. So, look, I think there are a lot of people um, in America today who do not know why America has um, such allegiance to nor concern for Israel. It's not just that a bunch of us are Christians. Like, there is something else um, that is the basis for um, the commitment of the United States of America to the nation state of Israel. Can you can you unpack a little of that? Well, I mean— there, I think there's there's several reasons for that. I mean, one is obviously it goes back to, you know, the the sense of, you know, there was the Balfour Declaration. The UK said we're, we're going to support establishing a homeland for the Jewish people. That was the end. Towards the, you know, the, one of the things of about post World War II was 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 there was a, a it was a kind of an era of decolonialism. Actually, it's, uh, and and the founding of Israel was actually a decolonial movement. It's basically we're going to give lots of people states. We're going to walk away the British Empire. We're going to walk away from these, you know, from our empire status. Um, and so even at the, you know, with when the United States got involved, we really didn't get involved until much later uh, in in the fifties, and it really had a lot to do with with the. The internal conflict between the Soviet Union and the United States and positioning each group was kind of positioning themselves, how they were going to be involved in the region. Uh, early on, the Soviets were very much in, in support of of Israel uh, because a lot of the Jews coming out of Europe uh, were, were were if not full communists, had, were, were sympathetic towards that direction. Uh, they were, you know, uh, Soviets were involved also in, in Egypt and stuff. But, you know, over time it became apparent that, you know, the the, the shift of loyalties happened really uh, a little bit later than that. Um, and so from the, from almost from the very beginning, the U.S. was very involved in, in the nation state of Israel and supporting the Jewish people. And we have actually, now we have the outside of Israel, the U.S. is the largest uh, number of Jews living uh, anywhere. And, uh, you know, there's, it, it they're, 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 they're part of our nation. We support them. Uh, it's also democracy. But honestly, I, I think, Carmen, uh, at, at the real base of it is, is actually uh, this recognition that there's something special mm-hmm. about Israel, about the land, about the people. Uh, I th- I think there's uh, whether we want to fully acknowledge it or not. I know it's just difficult in a lot of Christian circles, but Israel and the Jewish people are still uh, uh, are still a part of God's redemptive plan for for the world, right? Mm-hmm. So, Jews were not uh, an egg from which Jesus hatched and you throw away the shell, right? It's, it's, that's a good, uh, there's some, that's a there's good some way of saying it. 
And, uh, you know, I think as Christians, we can we can debate what that is and, and you know, theologically, uh, but we, I think, have to acknowledge that something is going on. I mean, one of the things that you see, you're going to get me on a hobby horse here, but like, you know, it, it, when, when Augustine looked out his window and he, and he sees the Jews scattered around and he could say, oh, see, it's because they're disobedience, God scattered them. Right. But here they are going back to the land. And when when God brought them back to the land after the Babylonian exile, he he said he did it for his own faithfulness. And I I think we're we're witnessing a, a, a second in gathering, if you will. And I I I think it it's uh, God's up to something. And uh, I'm I'm along for the ride. It's a cool ride, too. It is a cool ride. Um, yeah. So we've been talking recently about the need to read all the way to the end of the book. Um, and that's uh, a part of this conversation as well. All right. Luke Moon and I have to take a very, very brief break, uh, but we're going to continue this conversation when we get back. You're listening to Maureen's Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Luke Moon. He works with the Philos Project, one of my favorites. Um, Luke, let's talk about, so there's actually a connection here between the conversation about what's going on in Israel and uh, a Hamas with the conversation that we are about to have about Belarus. Uh, Belarus said that Hamas had planted a bomb um, on this commercial airliner that they then uh, forced to land in Minsk and um, and removed a, a person who writes things about them that they don't like. Um, Hamas then said, no, we did no such thing. So anyway, there's the connection to the uh, to the story out of Belarus. Tell us what's going on here and why it should be of concern to all of us. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's pretty bold, honestly. <laughs> you I think? Have, it was one of those things that I was like, okay, wow, this didn't expect this. It's something you would like almost out of movies, right? Totally was, out of a movie, yes. So, so what happened was, you know, there's this – it was a Ryanair, and Ryanair is like the cheap seats, right? It's like one of those airlines where you pay by the, you know, I mean, the the tickets like nineteen fifty, and then they, if you bring a bag, they charge you forty bucks. If you have to, you know, if you want a, a, a can of Coke, you have to pay five, right? And it's then it's a, like the cheap seats. Anyways, Ryanair. Uh, had this journalist on there that was kind of, you know, basically the the opposition journalist, the major kind of figure who's really a thorn in the flesh of the leader of Belarus. And and so Ryanair is flying over Belarus airspace and uh, they they basically, you know, say there's a there's a bomb on board and and uh, dispatch a fighter, which brings the plane down and it lands in Belarus. Uh, and the police come on and they grab the journalists and take them away. It's crazy. It's like out it, of a movie. It is. It is out of a movie. So, um, so here's a conversation at our dinner table about this. And I, you actually, when I saw on your Twitter feed that you, you know, had gone to Teaneck and you're standing in Teaneck, New Jersey, um, and you're standing for Israel and with the Jews. Um, yeah. And you're doing that so that the people in your own community are not under physical threat of violence because of the rising anti-Semitism here in the United States. Uh, at our dinner table, the conversation was, if you had been on the plane, 
you know, you're you are also forced off the plane and they do the whole they were, you know, in Minsk and everybody, you know, so ultimately they only writ, they only kept these two people, this journalist and his girlfriend. But there were several yeah. other people that didn't get black on the flight because apparently they were, you know, Belarusian agents anyway. Um, I am wondering, like we're talking at dinner, like, would you gotten back on the flight and or, or been like, no, we're not leaving unless everybody gets to go. Yeah, see, I, what I'm, see what I'm saying? Like the fact that oh, everybody true. else just got back on the plane and left. Yeah, I, I, well, right. You know, so I have, I have two thoughts there. One is like, I, I mean, if if you didn't know what was going on, I mean, I've, I've had to been on a plane that that you know got diverted and landed. It was for medical reasons, I guess. Some of the, you know, the flight attendant got really, really sick and ended up. We landed in Iceland or something, and and so you, you didn't know, right? Because there was a lot of people. But I, I think it's it's also, you know, one of the things that we see around the world right now is I, I've fallen to some persons call it the rise of the beta male, right? Like there's mm-hmm. there are so very few people who will who seem to be willing to stand up. I mean, there was I mean it's. In in New York City, there's been a uh, you know attacks on there was a there was a um, an attack on an on an Asian guy in the subway, and the guy was being beaten up, and everybody just kind of like either got out their phone to take pictures or just kind of like turns the other way, and I'm like, okay, I guess we're living in that world where nobody stands up for anybody else, and uh, you know it's. Uh, no, for, for what it's worth, I I I hope to that, that I would be not a beta male, <laughs> and I, you know, and it, you know, as I stood this weekend in in Teaneck, New Jersey, I I mean, I, I was the only guy uh, there on my on my side, if you will, and there was a hundred Palestinian activists on the other side screaming at me, calling me names and whatever. But you know, it was I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to take it because, uh, you know, I, I got to stand with the juice. So it's, but you know, it, it also comes, I, I learned to be able to handle, uh, you know, abuse, if you will, in public, because I was a street preacher in Asia for, for like five years. So I know, uh, that you just got to suck it up sometimes and just do stuff. Can we talk about how gray your beard has gotten? Because that was the other thing that stood out to me in your picture on Twitter. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's one of those things that uh, COVID COVID it was you know I'm just gonna let you know I didn't have to go into the office I didn't have to you know be be overly presentable all the time and and then it got a certain length and and now it's really hard to to, to make it shorter. Oh no, it's a good it's a good strong look. I like it. It's good. Thank you. It's good. Thank you. Yeah. Um okay, so can we spend uh, the last couple of minutes on the topic of uh of anti-Semitism because um I think that people who live in communities where maybe they don't even know if there's a Jewish synagogue or a Jewish community, first of all, I would say find out and then um uh you know, what can I do as just a regular person to show my support for Jews in my own community? Well, that's that's really important. I think for for one, I I wouldn't encourage um, 
I would encourage Christians to sign our what our the pledge that we we started uh, called the We Resolve. They can find it at Philos Project uh, backslash We Resolve, uh, and it was it's really a pledge for Christians to educate themselves about the history of Christian anti-Semitism. One of the reasons that I'm so passionate about it is because um, I, I've seen enough pictures and read enough books to know how often Christians for the last 2,000 years have been, uh, if not leading the way, very, very uh, involved in in the abuse of, of the Jewish people. Uh, and, and so I think we, we got some owning up to do on that front. Um, I think, you know, the Jews in many places uh, are unaware that they have the kind of friends that that uh, we are and we can be to them. And, you know, I I don't I only knew one Jewish person in Teaneck. Uh, and and so after I you know went to the rally the other day, I went to his house and he mm -hmm. I mean, with 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 tears in his eyes, he was like, I can't believe you came. And like, you know, the, and the, the Jews in the, in Teaneck, it's actually a, one of the largest Jewish neighborhoods or Jewish towns in, in New Jersey. And, and, you know, the, the community sent out notifications, just be careful. Don't go walking by yourself. Uh, you know, just be, be aware of your surroundings. And I mean, they were, they were very, uh, afraid of the, what was going to happen, um, and if people sign this pledge, one of the things that that we're we're starting is basically a, uh, we want to uh, train Christians on how to 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 effectively stand with the Jewish people, not just you know with with signing the pledge, but actually being like me, going and standing with the Jews. So, Amen. Uh, I stand with Israel. I stand with the Jews. Uh, you guys can find the We Resolve commitment at Philos, which they can find at philosproject.org. Thank you. I don't have it in front of me. Thank you, Luke, so very much. That's Luke Moon from the Philos Project. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at LukeMoon1. We'll be right back. All right, that is it for hour one, but we've got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We're going to talk about, oh, well, we're going to talk about a number of topics and issues, but let me remind you that at one o'clock, 1 p.m. this afternoon, Central Time, we're all encouraged to take nine minutes and 29 seconds of silence, and I don't think it's too early to start thinking about planning for that 10-minute period of time. How are you going to spend your nine and a half minutes of silence at 1 p.m. today? We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.